May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our scripture is from Psalms 46 and 119. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, as I mentioned, our bridge pastor Bill was meant to be preaching here today. And as I mentioned at the top of the service, he needed to be away to care for his daughter. And he offered me his manuscript today, Reasons for Hope. And I, as reading it over, I found that I couldn't really authentically deliver a lot of it, not because I didn't agree with it, but because it was a reflection of his childhood and many ways that society has improved over the last few decades. So while I am unable to reflect on my childhood in the 60s and 70s, um, I, I agree with his assessment that there are many reasons to be hopeful today. And I also agree with this, this thesis that while it can be hard to believe given the devastation that we regularly see and hear about, things are better today than ever before. Now with, that, with a little caveat there, and I will get to that in a bit, so hang with me. Because I can do a bit of reminiscing about myself and my childhood. I am about to be 40, and while I know that that is younger than many folks here, I hope that we can agree it is also not an insignificant amount of life to have lived. Indeed, as we move well into the 21st century and have a voting block of young Gen Zers who were never alive in the 1900s, as they so lovingly refer to the previous century. It's true. It's great. Things are markedly different today than when I was a child in 1983. So I grew up in the 80s, and I grew up with one phone on the wall in my kitchen. It was red. Yeah. There was an orange chair underneath it that I used to sit in. Yeah, it was. Burnt orange, that's right. In the kitchen, under the phone. And I remember news was on a couple of channels at night and in the morning, and it was widely accepted as trustworthy. All of it. And I had no idea about the Cuban Missile Crisis, for instance, as a child in the 80s. I didn't know about it. I learned about it in school as this other thing. I didn't know about the genocide happening in Africa. I didn't know about those things. 
I didn't even know that people died regularly from the flu. I didn't know that. I didn't want to get my flu shot. Why? I could just get sick. What's the big deal? I didn't know. And you know, they say that ignorance is bliss. But nowadays, our teens, they know about Russia's war with Ukraine. And they and we know about national policies being pushed to stamp out transgender identities. We know that on an average around 400 people a day still die in this country from COVID-19. A day. We know so much more now than we ever have. We know that human activity is destroying the viability of life on this planet at an expedited rate. We know that qualified immunity breeds police brutality, especially towards marginalized communities. And I'll just note here that qualified immunity has only been around since 1967. I was born in 83. Qualified immunity, that idea that police can't be held to the same laws as everyone else, is about as old as I am. Yes, we know so much more than we ever did before. We know of many, if not all, it seems, of the problems of our world. We know that, and we also know that we don't agree about all the problems that we see. We all see different problems, and there are so many out there. We know about far more problems than we can solve ourselves. And that's why I like to subscribe to a publication called Yes! Magazine. Anybody ever heard of Yes! with an, ex yeah, with an exclamation mark on it? Yes! Magazine. It's online, too. It's filled with uplifting stories. Because unlike the 24-hour news cycle, which pumps out a constant stream of fear and sensationalism, real life just doesn't work like that. Joy and hope, peace and love move slower, more steady. I mentioned earlier and I experienced them here weekly with all of you as we gather together. I have truly come to cherish Sunday, Sunday mornings and the reminders of the work of the Spirit that I feel in this space when we share together. And as for the rest of the week out there in the world, those blessings can be hard to see sometimes. So I am so grateful to recharge my hope cup every week here with all of you and be inspired each week. Those blessings are hard to come by out there as our media and many of our political leaders are so geared toward uplifting the worst of our world. So here are some statistics that Bill had planned to share with you, and I agree, they are worth uplifting. And heads up, there's a fair bit of numbers coming your way, and if numbers aren't your thing, I hope you'll hang with me, as I won't spend too long on them. But here are some metrics for quantifying hope. 
Annual government surveys from the Bureau of Justice show, uh, the statistics show that there have been no recent increases in the, U in the United States violent crime. And in 2021, which is the most recent year for available data, there were 16.5 violent crimes for every 1,000 Americans, ages 12 and older. That number is statistically unchanged from 2020, the year before, and is below pre-pandemic levels, and far below the rates recorded in the 1990s, according to the National Crime Victim Victimization Survey. In fact, the violent crime rate in the United States is half of what it was 30 years ago when I was making calls from that phone. Half. Violent crime is down by half in our country. I feel like I have to say that several times because it's hard to even believe it. No one is talking about that. We constantly hear that things are so much worse. And there are, there are lines and lines of resources and citations on all these numbers. So if you, if you want to do the due diligence and research, let me know. I'll let you know where to find these numbers. So despite what some 24-hour news networks want to focus on and hammer home every day, violent crime is half of what it was when I was making those phone calls from that burnt orange chair. Another stat, global literacy rates have climbed from about 20% in 1970 to 86% today. Staggering, right? with male and female literacy rates becoming nearly equal for the first time in recorded history, with only a 7% difference between them. This is a vast improvement from the 70s. Here's another metric. Wars and terrorism continue to rage around the world. No question. And every single death is a tragedy, especially when it's preventable. But the rate of death from war and terrorism is the lowest in recorded history. I had to check out these facts too. I was like, I trust you, Bill, but I'm gonna look into these to make sure. And the, it, the numbers don't lie here. Uh, Bill consulted dozens of sources and they all agree. A human alive today has less probability of being killed in a violent conflict than at any point in recorded history. One more metric for hope. Rates of extreme poverty have drastically fallen in recent decades. In the 1950s, a little more than half of the world's people lived in extreme poverty, a little more than half of the world's people. Today, that figure is 9%. And one detail worth mentioning is that in the United States in 1950, poverty was about 30%. And that's, if you're keeping track of my numbers, about 20% less than the global average. So we're in a good place, at least with our global brethren. But today, U.S. poverty is about 12%, which is higher than the global average. It's still reduced from 70 years ago, but it's higher than the rest of the world. And here is where we might start to see some reason for why our notions of despair 
are creeping in. When I was a child in the 80s, it was America's heyday. I heard and believed this and said regularly, this is the greatest country on earth. And by several metrics, that was true. Many of the ones I just described, we were top of the charts. Our literacy rates were higher than average. Our poverty rates were lower than average. And we weren't scared of anyone coming to blow up our town, especially the American military. I didn't know that one of the reasons we had better literacy rates was because no one was coming here and toppling our government to install a regime that would favor their country, like so many other Latin and Eastern European countries had to deal with. How do you learn to read when you're just trying to survive? Our poverty rates were below the global, the global average as no one was coming here and stealing our resources by force. Plus, we didn't count native communities in our national poverty accounting. Kind of fudged those numbers a little bit. And as we rode high on our laurels for the next 40 years, we fed so many of our resources into maintaining and expanding our military that our public works and services have stagnated. And much of the rest of the world has caught up or exceeded our infrastructure. On a global scale, it's hard to find a metric that says we're flexing the curve up. Rather, it seems we begin to start dragging it down, which is a hard pill to swallow. But we know better now. We know all these things. And this is where I get a lot of hope from, because many of you may not know, but I have done a fair bit of work with adult children of alcoholics groups. And one thing I've learned is that you can't fix a problem until you recognize that there is one. Beloved, it pains me to say it, but police have been abusing black people since long before Amir Locke or Dante Wright, or George Floyd, or Rodney King. But as we, as a society, we didn't teach people about it. We didn't talk about it. So how could we start to work towards change? I certainly didn't know about it. And in the 80s, I didn't know literacy was an issue. So how could I help to work to educate folks or care about my school's readathon? And now we know. We know things. Human activity is threatening the viability of life on this planet. And the thing is, that's not new. But we didn't know how dire it was until now. But I remember my childhood when we found out that aerosols in hairspray were putting a hole in the ozone layer. In the 1920s, aerosols were invented, and for 50 years, we used them freely. Amen? And in 1974, a group of scientists published news of their harmful effects to the ozone. And 10 years later, a full 10 years later, a full decade later, nothing had been done. And a hole over in Antarctica was found. 
Social and political pressure pushed DuPont, America's leading manufacturer of hairspray, to find a new way to stay in business. They changed their formula. They adapted. And in 1986, that's what they did. And America began pushing for global reforms. And we got them. Beloved, America isn't just now suddenly controlled by corporate interests. America has been controlled by corporate interests at least as long as I have been alive. And now, General Motors has announced that they're transitioning to all electric cars in the next decade. Corporate interests are shifting. And as long as we keep the pressure up, America can lead again. Because in 2023, qualified immunity has been around for 50 years, and we know the damage it's causing. We know the damage it's causing. It might take another 10 years to fix it. Systems change so slowly. But we can fix it. We can. If we care, if we educate ourselves and our neighbors and hold our politicians and police chiefs responsible when police officers abuse their power and tarnish the good name of law enforcement, I believe we are in a better place than we were in the 70s because we know more. We care and connect on a broader scale than ever before. Corporate interests and politicians take a long time to turn around. A long time. But we know better, which means we have some hope of doing better. We are not burying our heads in the sand. Not in this church. We face these realities together as a community. With faith. To find hope. And if we can just be patient and not assume that the doom news of today will be the doom news of every other tomorrow. So Bill was going to close with an old Chinese folktale that goes like this. A Chinese farmer had a prized championship horse. Maybe some of you have heard this before. One day, someone leaves the barn open and the horse runs away and the neighbors hear of this news and rush over and commiserate, we're so sorry, such bad luck. The farmer replies, well, we don't know if it's bad luck or not. And the next day, the horse returns with half a dozen wild horses following it. And the neighbors rush over to exclaim, well, wonderful luck. Well, we don't know yet, replies the farmer. The following day, the farmer's 18-year-old son is trying to um, gentle one of these wild horses, and he's thrown off the back of the horse, breaking the young man's leg. And the neighbors once again descend, what bad luck. And the farmer replies, well, we don't know yet. And the next day, the army comes marching through, conscripting all able-bodied young men off to war. (laughs) But the farmer's son is passed over because he has a broken leg. And so it continues. 
What seems like bad luck and doom today may end up being a way forward, in a way that is more life-giving than before. So I'll add to that sentiment with a saying from an American folktale. In The Lord of the Rings, when Frodo is suddenly burdened with the unenviable task of journeying far from the comforts of home or else facing its total destruction, he he says to his friend, Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf replies, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And we are here now, in this time, knowing what we know. And it is up to us to decide what to do with it. So I'll leave you with the words from a letter to the ancient church at Philippi. We've heard it earlier today. They were struggling to find hope in a harsh time, not knowing if their children and grandchildren would have full and rich lives. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As we prepare in a few weeks to walk the journey of Lent once again, may we consider giving up our 24-hour news network that only focuses on the sensational and destructive powers of the world. And instead focus on the resurrective work of being in sacred relationship with our neighbors, with God, to focus our attention on that which is life-giving. May it be our first step towards being the change we want to see in the world. Amen. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.